David Shaw is ready to go for November. Almost. A Stanford quarterback is the toast of college football, just not in a Cardinal uniform. And the former face of the Pac-12 network is still backing the pack. Confused? You won't be after this episode of the TreeCast with Troy Clarity, presented by the Believe Podcast Network. Wednesday, September the 30th, 2020. Super pumped that you are here with us. Man, we got a lot to do on the show. I'm glad you've decided to carve part of your day out and joining us here on the TreeCast. I'm in Detroit, Clarity. Looking forward to getting into all sorts of things. David Shaw, the Stanford football head coach, has spoken to the media, held a media Zoom, media Zoom conference on late Wednesday morning. You're going to hear some of his pertinent thoughts on that. And our special guest for this week's show is none other than my man, Mike Yam, formerly with the Pac-12 Network, but he's still talking Pac-12 football for Sirius XM. And also, you're going to be seeing him in some other various exciting places. We'll talk about that with him. Plus, I want to get some of his thoughts and his reads on the Pac-12, as now uh, things are gearing up towards an early November start for football, and a few of his other memories of being with the Pac-12 Network for eight years. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the show no matter where you hear the program via your favorite listening app, Google Podcasts, Apple Play, Spotify, Stitcher, uh, TuneIn, iHeart, doesn't matter. Anywhere you listen to your favorite podcast, and hopefully the TreeCast is it, chances are pretty good that you could check out this show. Subscribe to the show, rate it, review it, tell everyone about the show if you love it. If you don't like it, tell me about it. Best way you can tell me anything is via Twitter. Hashtag TreeCast is the best way to ensure that I see your thoughts as I'm looking forward to covering my 28th season of Stanford football. Holy smokes, I'm old. And getting older. Within weeks, that just occurred to me. We'll get you three things you need to know around Stanford Athletics in just a moment. But first, this reminder that the wait is finally over. Football is back all around the country. And you might not be at the game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Game spreads, totals, team, player, and coaching props. Bet Online gives you more options to wager than any place online, and there's always the online casino. It never closes. Head to betonline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. David Shaw coming up, Mike Yam after that. But first, three things you need to know right now around Stanford Athletics. Let's begin with number one. We start with a bit of roster churn this week for Stanford football, as safety Stuart Head announced on Sunday that he is opting out of the upcoming season and entering the transfer portal. In his announcement, Head thanked his teammates, classmates, professors, coaches, staff, fans, and alumni. He also said he's aiming to graduate in March with his political science degree and get his master's degree elsewhere. Head, originally from the Atlanta, Georgia area, uh, played in eight games last year at safety, started six games along the way, and notched 39 tackles. Had a couple of moments where he flashed, but had some other moments where he struggled a bit. Of course, I'm sure that he would love to have some events in Boulder back uh, that unfolded last fall. But Stuart Head, Heading to the graduate portal and uh, opting out for this upcoming season. Best of luck to him. 
Let's get to number two. Major League Baseball playoffs are underway. The Oakland A's in a do or die situation as I say this right now. Things are looking good for them in game two. Hopefully that holds up. No shortage of Stanford alums helping their teams try to win the title. Padres catcher Jason Castro, Reds infielder Alex Blandino, Cleveland righty Cal Quantrill, Cubs infielder Nico Horner, Cardinals infielder Tommy Edmond, and A's outfielder Steven Piscotti, all repping the card in the Major League Baseball playoffs. On the 40-man roster, at the very least, for each of those teams. So congratulations to all of those guys, and best of luck to all of them, especially the Oakland A's. Again, hopefully we're talking about a Game 3 in that AOL wildcard series by the time you hear this. Let's finish it up with number 3. And I did not do three things last week, so I didn't get a chance to tell you about this then, but it still seems pretty appropriate this week. Stanford Athletics teamed with Stanford Votes last week on National Voter Registration Day to get all eligible student-athletes and staff registered by Election Day. Several Cardinal programs already reached the 100% voter, voter registration mark. Stanford Votes is a nonpartisan, university-wide, student-run organization. Now, as for you, if you're not sure if you're registered and good to go, check it out first, then register if necessary. And after that, vote today, if you can. Those are three things. Former Pac-12 Network host Mike Yam joining us in a few minutes. Before that, we'll get you some of David Shaw's latest thoughts around Stanford football. But am, am I being a bad Stanford fan for not thinking that K.J. Costello's success at Mississippi State somehow reflects poorly on the Cardinal? I mean, as, as most of you know by now, I'm sure, K.J. Costello becoming a national star with uh, his role in Mississippi State's 44-34 win at number 6 LSU, right in the middle of Death Valley. 36 of 60, 623 yards, five touchdowns. That is a perfectly Mike Leach quarterback line. Even Patrick Mahomes was saying, wait, what? Dude threw for over 600 yards? And by the end of the day, some Mississippi State folks were calling him K.J. Godstello, the 623 yards passing an SEC single-game record. Wasn't a completely clean performance. K.J. did throw two picks, including a pick six, and he fumbled twice. Normally, when your quarterback turns it over four times, especially with the pick six, you lose. But K.J. made more than enough big throws. His wide receivers made some amazing grabs. His defense gave him help. And Mississippi State is the toast of college football for this week. Now, we'll get more of David Shaw's thoughts on Stanford football in particular coming up, as mentioned, in just a couple of minutes. But this morning, Wednesday morning, when David Shaw was asked for his thoughts on KJ's performance against LSU, I want to play for you his complete response. David Shaw reacting to KJ Costello becoming one of the big stars in the early college football season. Uh, last year was one of the toughest years uh, professionally for me that, I, that I've had. Um, and at the heart of a lot of that was how bad I felt for KJ. Um, not more so than other guys on the team, but different with your quarterback, different with your two-time captain. Um, the guy was coming, he came off a 3,500-yard passing you know, year, second most yards in the history of the school, 
29 touchdowns, um, choosing between going pro or coming back. He chose to come back. He wanted to win a Pac-12 championship with his team. He wanted to, to get in the playoff, and we believe we had the, the weapons to do it. Um, and then just to see him never really ever reach what he's capable of. He's probably healthy for one game last year, and that was Arizona, and he put on a show. And I still don't think he was 100%, but that was a lot of willpower for KJ. Um, so, yeah, I I've watched two games from start to finish uh, so far this year. Um, one was Duke-Notre Dame, because I'm so proud of Devery Hamilton for the same reason. He fought injuries for two years, and to see him go back out there and play tackle and be healthy and play well. Um, I couldn't be happier uh, for him. And the other game was this past weekend, watching KJ um, once again, healthy, confident, um, and, and an offense where they're gonna throw the ball, right? Mike Leach is just not gonna run it. So we all knew he was gonna have an outstanding year, didn't know it was gonna be a 600 yard passing day, but had a feeling that that's, that's the kind of season that, that they were gonna have together. You know, Mike Leach is thrown for a lot of yards with a lot of quarterbacks and very few have had the arm talent that KJ Costello has. So we figured it was going to be special, a special year for him, a great jump off year for him um, to push himself hopefully into that first round of the NFL draft. That's David Shaw in his usual even-keeled approach to things, which quite honestly was a direct contrast to some things I saw in the immediate aftermath of that game on social media and on message boards. And look, it's, it's my fault for looking. Right. I mean, that that's what I get for hanging out on social media and uh, lurking on message boards. Nobody's fault but mine. I will gladly take the horns on that. But some folks seemed very eager to to jump on this and to draw a straight line from KJ's performance to some of Stanford's perceived shortcomings and potential ineptitude, perhaps, in, in, in some instances. Here are some things I saw out there. Number one. Oh, see what KJ can do when he plays in an offense that lets him throw the ball? Well, look, that's not accurate because we've seen it from KJ at Stanford. We've already seen what he can do when he plays in an offense and plays with a game plan that puts the ball in his right hand and, and, and let him do what he can do. Several occasions at Stanford, most notably against Arizona last year and versus Washington State. The year before, it was shocking to see, but it was beautiful to watch. KJ running that no-temple, that, 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 that no-huddle style offense and putting the ball in his right arm, making great decisions with the ball and making some clutch throws. We've seen that at Stanford before, contract, contrary to what some folks might want to have you believe. And I'm sure he would have seen much more of that all of last year if KJ hadn't gotten hurt in that opener against Northwestern. And don't forget, before he got knocked out of that game, he was 16-20 for 152 yards and a touchdown and did that in about, what, 28, 29 minutes of football? So that, I think, was an initial indication of the directions that Stanford football offensively hoped to take last year before that first hit kind of submarined everything. So, you know, the, the narrative that that... You know, this is what KJ can do when he plays in an offense that lets him throw the ball, and he wasn't getting that at Stanford. That's, that's not accurate. Two, oh, KJ had such touch and command on his deeper throws against LSU. We didn't see that last year. Mike Leach is teaching him well. Well, you didn't see that last year because KJ had trouble gripping a ball 
much less throwing it, for much of last season. KJ didn't really recover from banging his hand against Oregon last year. Never really recovered from that. He was largely never the same. Even in November, when Stanford went to Boulder and what ended up being KJ's final game played in a Stanford uniform, and even before that week, I talked to him. I reached out, tried to shake his hand. He was like, nope, sorry, <laughs> I got to give you the dap instead. And then during that game itself, which he looked fine, but there were a couple moments in that game, specifically a quick five yard out that most quarterbacks complete in their sleep, including KJ Costello. He bounced it to the receiver. I believe it was Connor Weddington on the, on the left side. KJ makes that completion, a healthy KJ makes that completion 10 times out of 10. That told me he still wasn't 100%. We saw, we would have seen those things last year, the touch, the command, the ability to put the ball where only his wide receiver could get it, a heck of a lot more last year. KJ hadn't banged his hand against the helmet of his, one of his own linemen, Devery Hamilton, I believe, if I remember correctly, against Oregon last year. Now, Here's my favorite. <clears throat> oh, KJ is succeeding now with Mike Leach because David Shaw never gave him a real chance and didn't believe in him. And I saw that tweet, and that made me turn off Twitter for most of the rest of the day on Saturday. I, I think that was the, the, the final straw that, that I had. Now, that being said, if we're talking about 2017, I would agree with that. I don't think KJ got anywhere near a fair shake and saw anywhere near as much playing time as he probably should have in the 2017 season, specifically that Oregon State game that was just an offensive stinker from Keller Christ. KJ Costello was in the building that night in Corvallis, but he never saw any playing time at all in that game. Even though leading up to that game, you could tell, you could tell, you could see, you could sense whenever he got in the game, the Stanford offense operated with much more consistency, operated with much more urgency, and operated with much more confidence. We didn't see any of those things against uh, the Oregon State Beavers that night, and I'm still scratching my head and trying to figure out how the Cardinal won that game. Thank goodness for Harrison Phillips forcing that very late fumble. So if we're talking about 2017, I would agree with that. But KJ started every game in 2018. And when healthy, he was the unquestioned starter last year, even when Davis Mills was doing well. The problem is, he wasn't healthy enough for anywhere near long enough last year. So it's not that the coaches didn't give him a chance and didn't believe in him. That, that tweet, and, and that tweet came from someone I know, by the way. But that tweet and that notion, now, nah, man, you, you can miss me with that. Miss me with that. I enjoyed watching that game. I really had a lot of fun watching that game. I checked it out from start to finish. I made sure the wife and I ran errands before, and I was like, look, we need to be back home by 1230 so I can check out KJ Costello against the LSU squad. I had a lot of fun watching that game, and I hope KJ rips it up in the SEC and gets paid big money starting next year. I was happy. But it, it didn't seem like a lot of Stanford fans were happy. And hell, they seemed a lot, a lot of them seemed depressed. Again, you know, sample size you find on message boards and social media, you know, you can debate the accuracy all you want as far as whether that's the true pulse of Stanford fans or not. But 
if, if, if any Stanford fan to me who came away from that result feeling depressed and trying to draw a straight line to criticisms about the Stanford football program, some that, you know, that, that many of us have had. Look, I, I don't think the Stanford football program is beyond reproach. Far from it. <laughs> there are some things that David Shaw does that drive me nuts. But I can't draw that straight line from KJ's success to some of Stanford football's perceived shortcomings. I can't do that. And I think a lot of the Stanford fans that did were either navel-gazing or just looking for more reasons to knock David Shaw and the Stanford football program again or both. Had to get off that, that off my chest. You want to respond to that, feel free to do so. Hit me up via Twitter. <laughs> Social media is a wonderful thing. At Troy Clarity and give me the hashtag TreeCast as well. All right. Uh, David Shaw had much more to tell us about in the media than just K.J. Costello when he had his kind of a first introductory press conference of the season on late Wednesday morning. And it was good to see some folks via Zoom, some familiar faces covering the squad. And let's begin here with David Shaw's thoughts on finally getting to this, to this point. You may have seen some reports and some stories about how there was some discord among Pac-12 athletic directors and head coaches about perceived lack of communication from the Pac-12 front office to how things were going and frustration amongst the, the coaches and athletic directors. Oh, well, the court, if you hear from David Shaw, apparently he wasn't one of those head coaches who wasn't happy with the process that led to this. Been involved with a lot of conversations and I'm still not just comfortable, but, but still proud of this conference for how we've operated over the last five months. Um, really trusting our doctors and trusting their advice, listening to um, our, our university presidents and the many things that they have to deal with, which is so much more than just athletics. Yeah, that's the key. I think that's a big key right there. Look, if you left everything up to the athletic directors and the head coaches, I'm pretty sure that we would have been playing <laughs> as scheduled as originally scheduled in early September. But the presidents certainly have a lot more on their plate uh, and a lot more to consider. And that's a big reason why things took a bit longer uh, for things to come about in the Pac-12. Now, of course, there were some minefields that, that David Shaw has had to negotiate to help the Pac-12 and to help Stanford football just get to this point. Coach Shaw went, uh, went over some of those challenges. I had to deal with... Um the uh, issues from other conferences, uh, both in the recruiting space um, and then just uh, people loving, loving Molotov cocktails at our conference. Um, and, and I'm fine with that. I have no issue with that. People can do and say whatever they want. A lot of it has a recruiting base, um, right? They're trying to recruit some of the same guys that we are. So they're taking shots at us. That's fine. I can look my guys in the eye and say everything that we've done in our conference has been for their health and their safety. Um, and, and for nothing else. We're not giving in to pressure from other conferences. We're not giving in to pressure from other groups. We've answered the questions in recruiting. We've answered the questions about our, our university's commitment to, to, to student athletes, um, their, their athletic uh, endeavors, as well as their academic endeavors. Um, and, and I stand, stand firm on the things that we've done and how we've done it. Has it been perfect? Absolutely not. Nothing's been perfect once this pandemic started. Um, but I feel great about um, what we've done. I feel great about how we got to where we are. I feel great about the lead time that we have um, to, to get ready for the season. Um, would I love another couple of weeks? Absolutely. 
but is 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 November seventh doable? Absolutely. Yeah, not easy, not easy. But he is clearly uh, raring to go for November seventh. Although he wouldn't mind having a little extra week or so. But uh, I'm sure a lot of coaches uh, would would say that uh, in this instance as well. Now the big question is up to Santa Clara County and to the state of California as well. When will Santa Clara County change some of their cohort rules that kind of loosen the restrictions on what Stanford can do practice-wise and having more guys be able to touch the ball and having guys be able to gather, having more guys be able to gather around? David Shaw's response to that. Hopefully by the time we start training camp. Um, before that would be great because um, there's some things we'd love to do one-on-one, seven-on-seven, um, some, some mirror drills, et cetera, that we have, we can operate in closer proximity. There are a lot of things that we can do right now be- before that, um, uh, where we're still pre- preparing the guys, training the guys, going through a lot of drills, um, keeping our distance, but still working hard, uh, pushing ourselves uh, in our, our outdoor weight room. Um, but as we get closer to training camp, we'd love to be able to do a little bit more. So that's in the hand of the state, um, which will then transition to our county our county will communicate with us. Um, our county has, has expressed their willingness to work with us, which we're very appreciative of. Um, we understand the difficulties that they have um, in, in trying to find a way uh, to, to play this, this sport, um, to play soccer, to play volleyball um, in the middle of a pandemic, a pandemic that, uh, and a, a virus that is transmitted through um, breathing and talking and spitting. Um, and that's what happens in sports. Yeah, yeah, true, true, very true. And that, and that all sounds great. Now, is there any timetable for the county perhaps saying, hey, okay, you guys are good to go? Uh, I have a relatively big office when it comes to, to the, the, the athletic department. Um, when it comes to state and county officials, I have a very, very small office. And those conversations do not happen in my office. So uh, I will await word from those big offices um, on, on and when, when and if we can uh, augment uh, what we're doing. Until then, we're just going to work hard and push ourselves and do everything we can uh, that we're allowed to do for the time being. As David Shaw, and I should note, I confirmed this with a Stanford uh, football spokesman, uh, there is no date for a training camp set as of yet. So until that happens... And until they get the green light to do, until that happens, they're going to keep doing uh, the things that they've been doing. You heard some of those answers, uh, heard some of those things in David Shaw's answer there. And uh, they'll keep doing that until they get the final green light uh, from the county and uh, from the state as well. And hopefully uh, that'll be before they hope to start uh, training camp. Mentioned earlier in the show, Stuart Head choosing to opt out. Uh, a couple of other guys uh, heading out for the gra- uh, the graduate transfer portal too. Of course, Walker Little no longer on the roster as uh, he is preparing for the NFL draft as well. But now that we apparently have a path, a true path to the starting gate for the Pac-12 for football this fall, does that mean Stanford's roster is set as of this point? Here's David Shaw's answer. Uh, I don't really have an answer for that um, because an opt-out could happen at any time. Um, all I've told them is these, these are my guys. I absolutely love them. I'm going to do everything I can to help them individually and collectively. Um, and if something changes during the course of the year and someone and they're in conversations with their family decide to opt out for COVID reasons, then great. Completely understand. Um, those that are, that are not opting out, we have a lot of rules for them. We got a lot of guidelines for them, a lot of expectations on them. 
um, maybe so much than uh, anybody we've ever had uh, at this age, um, the things we ask them to do. So uh, I'm very understandable. I have no issues with, with uh, people who opt out or, or choose not to participate because we are in, in crazy times right now. Um, so I, I'm not gonna say that this is who we have, et cetera. Um, all, I, all I ask is guys communicate with me, let me know. Um, and, and so we can prepare. Yeah, that, that seems reasonable. Seems like a reasonable approach for a reasonable approach for, uh, for all involved. Um, David Shaw later on in the, in the media conference, pretty much confirming that Walker Little is gone. I mean, he is, as we mentioned last week, uh, already training in Florida and working to get and finish up his degree in December. So all the best of luck to him. And yeah, no doubt the roster is still fluid. Um, no doubt what we could possibly see. Uh, between now and the uh, scheduled start of the season, the first full weekend in November. So the roster is still fluid. Then again, <laughs> hell, everything's fluid, it seems, right around now. There were two things that I was in particular curious about with David Shaw and a couple things that, that I asked Coach myself. And one was noticing what's happened around college football so far in the first four weeks and noticing that home field advantage doesn't seem to be as big of a deal. We've seen some very highly regarded teams lose games at home. I mean, you you can't tell me that you know as de as depleted as LSU was from last year's squad. And that's certainly a big factor in what we saw uh, against Mississippi State last week. You can't tell me that if that Death Valley had been completely full and completely packed, that would not have had some impact on that game. Now, given that. And the, and the fact that the Pac-12 will not have fans at any of their home venues uh, for this upcoming fall season. And the fact that if the Pac-12 preserves the rotation uh, for divisional games for this year, uh, Stanford, uh, if, that, if that's preserved, will likely head up to Eugene and likely head up to Seattle later on this fall. How does no, having no fans in the building change the dynamic in the Pac-12? I've been thinking about that exact same thing since probably the day after we announced that we're playing football is to go into those stadiums and actually hear. Um, it just never happened before. Um, so uh, I think that, that kind of evens the playing field to a certain degree. Um, I still think there is a home field advantage just because it is your home and you, everybody wants to defend their house. Um, but the not having a noise issue, um, I think it helps a lot. Um, it, it takes away maybe a little bit from the home field advantage, um, but at the same time, um, it's still going to be those are still going to be tough venues to play in. Those are two really good football teams, um, but I will enjoy not not having to crank up the crowd noise during the week of practice before we play those games and working on hand signals, etc. Um, I think that's 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 only going to be a benefit in our in our favor. Yeah, and, and you might remember ESPN's Rod Gilmore and I talked about this a bit when we had the football schedule 2.0 in early August before it was eventually scrapped um, a couple weeks later. But Rod Gilmore and I, and I talked about this a little bit about going up to Washington and how less intimidating it potentially is when you don't have 72,000 plus screaming, rabid, lunatic Husky fans in the building. It makes a bit of a difference. So will those teams have certain other advantages for being able to play at home? Well, yeah, sure. I mean, you, you don't have to get on a plane. You get to stay in, 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 in familiar circumstances. You know, traveling generally dehydrates you. David Shaw and I have talked about this um, before. So there are some advantages still to be in the home team, but no noise to deal with. 
that could potentially be a big factor in Pac-12 play and perhaps might potentially neutralize um, some things that you might see when teams go to play at Oregon, which has had its share of opt-outs and defections as well, and at Washington too. The other thing I was curious to know from David Shaw was to get his initial snapshot of his biggest strength and concern both on offense and on defense right now. Coach Shaw breaks it down. Strength-wise on the offensive side, my hope of what it is, um, is what we've always strived for is balance. Um, uh, I'm excited about our quarterback. I'm excited about the weapons he's got to throw the ball to. I'm excited about our runners. I'm excited about the, what we have up front combination of our, our offensive line and tight ends. Um, so hopefully we can be effective in the passing game and, and more effective in the running game than we were a year ago. Um, you know, I'm curious to see is we've got a young offensive line and a lot of young guys had got a lot of experience last year. And I'm expecting to see a huge jump from year one to year two with those guys. Um, we've got a couple of seniors on that offensive line that I think are going to be outstanding and amongst the best in our conference and potentially uh, in the nation. Um, and, and Drew Dahlman and Foster Sorrell, um, both guys are back. Both guys are hungry. Both guys are healthy um, and extremely talented. So we've got great leadership in that room. So that's, that's always that's going to be a question mark for us because of all the injuries and, and inconsistencies we had playing so many young guys last year. Um, and now asking those guys to make a big step. So that's a big question mark for us there. Um, but I feel great about where we are. Um, defensively, I'm excited about our athleticism um, from top to bottom, from the back end to the linebackers, to the outside linebackers, to our defensive line. Um, as a year ago, you know, we, we, we expect a lot of our guys up front. Um, we don't have a lot of experience um, in, our, in our defensive line. We have some talent. We have some ability. We've got a couple of older guys that haven't played a lot of football and a couple of younger guys that are talented but haven't played NFL or, or college football yet. Um, so now we've got an opportunity to see what those guys are made of. Um, we love who, we're, who we've recruited, and now we've got to see if we can get them to play at a high level. So um, that combination of, of athleticism and youth will be both a, a, a positive force and maybe early in the year something we really have to watch and make sure that we can try to play at a high level. That's David Shaw, and uh, I, I can hear some of you now kind of cringing at uh, David Shaw saying that the offensive balance is – a strength, a potential perceived strength for the Cardinal as of right now. But remember, Shaw doesn't consider balance as being balanced the whole game as far as calling run and pass. He doesn't consider balance being, you know, oh, we, we, we must establish the run first. It's a 100% uh, a guarantee. I mean, yes, that's the brand that Stanford football has worked so hard to cultivate and establish over the past decade plus. But, but Shaw said, look, yeah, I'm perfectly okay with throwing it to get a lead and then running it to protect it. So that maybe at the end of the game, you look at the stat sheet and you see, by and large, a balance, an offensive uh, run play, pass play calling balance um, on the stat sheet. So, and, and given what the perceived strengths of Stanford's, uh, Stanford, uh, Stanford's offense are this upcoming fall, man, that wide receiver room is huge. Davis Mills can sling the rock. Given the perceived strengths of Stanford football offensively right now, this might be the way to go. And we talked about this before. Intellectual brutality, some things you might be used to, that might go by the wayside for the large part. But I'm sure if David Shaw would, would have his druthers, he would rather win a track meet the first three quarters and then grind it out in the fourth quarter.
So you might cringe at the at the fact that the offensive balance he thinks might be a might be a strength for Stanford right now, but but it, it it might not be what you might be thinking. Defensively, athleticism and youth both as a strength and a concern. And that that certainly seems to seems to track. Now the cornerback unit remains intact largely with Paulson Adebo as of this point um, still on the roster and not opting out and, and staying with the team. Uh, big fan of Caillou Blue Kelly, big fan of Jonathan McGill. I thought he really showed some things um, in the nickel spot um, as a freshman last fall. And I think his his upward trajectory can, or his trajectory rather, can, can only continue to, to grow upward. And he could be a big time star by the time next year rolls around. That being said, still question marks considering athleticism and youth at the inside linebacker spots and at the safety spots as well. Those are the two units, I think, that could um, dictate eventual success or potential failure for the Stanford defense this fall. Don't necessarily like the depth on the defensive line, but I like the quality. I like the quality. And the outside linebackers, same situation there. But good to get uh, David Shaw's initial snapshot on where things potentially sit as of right now. <laughs> it's kind of funny. I, I started the uh, uh, my, my first question to David Shaw by saying, hey, man, it's, it's, it's good to see you uh, begin a press conference without giving us some insanely long and horribly depressing injury report. And hopefully that uh, continues to be a habit throughout the rest of the season. I, I saw him cross his fingers uh, back at me um, on the Zoom. So good to hear from Coach Shaw and uh, looking forward to getting closer and closer to finally eventually getting back on the field. By the way, I, I think the depressed mood around my, many Stanford fans of late, I think, really stems from that. I think that might go away, hopefully goes away, uh, when the Cardinal finally get back on the field. We shall see. Well, certainly looking forward to seeing Pac-12 football back on the field. I know a lot of people feel that way including our special guest here on this week's episode of the TreeCast, a very familiar face to Pac-12 football fans, formerly the host, formerly the face of the Pac-12 network, but also doing some fantastic stuff with SiriusXM, with Intel Sports, and now with the NFL Network as well. Always a pleasure to be joined by the one and only Mike Yam joining us here on the TreeCast. Mike, pleasure as always, my man. How you doing today? Man, it is A, so good to hear your voice. B, good to see you. I know we're doing this over Zoom, not to get too inside baseball here, but it's nice to, to be able to connect at least virtually. I, I long for the days of being able to see you in person, whether it's a media day or, or catching you at a game. So thrilled to be with you. But you're right, man. Let's roll. We got, we got a football season to talk about we got a year that's about to kick off like yeah. I, I didn't know we were going to be able to say this so i'm i'm absolutely thrilled and excited that we get some football here yeah first weekend in november is when things are finally slated to uh kick off for the pac-12 in football uh you hosted sirius xm's uh coverage uh, of the pac-12's announcement last week as it was unfolding what was your reaction uh to the announcement and what are some questions that you still might have going forward yeah, there's. I feel like there's definitely more questions uh, than answers as of right now. But look, look, there is an excitement, I think, across the board in this conference for not only the players and the coaches, but I think a lot of people uh, on our respective campuses that are looking forward to the start here. I think, number one, once the Quidell relationship was established, I think a lot of us just sort of assumed, hey, we're going to get some football and we're going to get it in a timely manner. I think if you are a fan 
that is pro football coming back and you're thrilled that it's here, then in a lot of ways, you got to thank the Big Ten because I don't know if we get this movement. And heck, I don't know if we're starting that first week in November had it not been for the Big Ten making the decision to change course, reverse their course, and, and decide to have some football. Um, I think to me, there is some disappointment there because I, I, I would have loved to have seen Troy like more movement in the early goings after September 3rd when uh, Quidell and the Pac-12 had made that announcement to try to get local jurisdictions. And look, this tree cast, I get it at Stanford. We all know what's happening in California right now around practice. I mean, you couldn't have, you know, three dudes on, in a Stanford uniform practice and touch the same football. So of, of course, there we weren't going to be ready to play. I think the unfortunate thing is like hey like why couldn't we get this done a little bit sooner um i i i sound like the kid who at christmas time asked santa for a hundred gifts and got 99 and is <laughs> complaining that he didn't get that hundredth gift and what i mean by that is i i couldn't wait to get football right i couldn't wait for there to be a season i'm thrilled that it's here in 2020 and not 2021 um i'm really happy for a lot of these kids that are now going to be able to try to compete for a spot in the college football playoff but the disappointing thing is man the seven games i just i wish i got eight wish i got nine like i i i i that's the only thing right now because i think that it's going to be an uphill battle for a team in the pac-12 conference trying to make the cfp on the field Overall, and maybe even off the field, too, because, look, the Pac-12's reputation, as, as we all know, may be not quite the best amongst the Power Five conferences. Yeah. What's at stake here for the Pac-12 this year on and off the field in your mind? I think it's a really good point here because that national narrative has not been one that's a positive one for this league. And I think in a lot of ways, it's not totally fair. If the league didn't play in 2020, and even if they were married with the Big Ten, and we're playing in 2021, I felt like there was going to be this narrative where the Pac-12, it might be hard to dig itself out of. And one in which it's the league's not relevant, they can't win, they don't care about football, recruits are leaving the footprint. I think it was going to be hard to fight that narrative if you don't play. Now, the fact that they are playing, I think, helps. And to me, you know... What's at stake right now, Troy, is like, you guys got to win. I mean, that's, that's what it comes down to. Like, hey, who are the premier teams and, and can they compete for a spot in the college football playoff? And it can a perfect team. And I think in a lot of ways, it will take a sort of perfection here in the conference season in order to make an argument, you know, a seven and O Oregon team, a seven and O USC team. Will they have a chance? Yeah. I mean, when you look at, at some of the other conferences, you know, assuming a loss here or there for some of these other teams, you know, yeah, that door is open here, but you're relying on a perfect season. Does the six and one pack 12 champion get over a team that's played eight, nine games, like 10 games. No, I don't, I don't know how you can legitimately make that argument. I think what makes the matters worse right now are some of these opt-outs like Oregon, I felt like was the cream of the crop in the pack 12. They were the favorite. I think if we were in a normal year, they would be the team that I would pick. You know, everyone wants to talk about Panay Sewell and I get it. I mean, for sure. I mean, we're talking about a top five pick in the NFL draft you lose a guy like that, your, your, your team's going to take a hit. But Troy, I look at Oregon as a whole, that team is going to be led by their defense and uh, Lenore Holland, uh, you know, those guys opting out, mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. you know, that becomes an issue for, for that team's defense. Now you're going to re- be relying on some younger players, the Justin flows of the world, um, you know, Noah Sewell, uh, Panay's brother, like younger talent, both on the offense and the defensive side to try to carry this team. And it's not to say they can't do it, but I just wonder how much that narrative is going to creep into uh, the national picture if Oregon is able to run the table. Now it's going to be a great problem to have if they do. And the same for USC, but uh, certainly, you know, at least in my mind, Troy, like there's, there's some issues right now that the league is going to have to overcome. Yeah. I was going to ask you about that with the defections that the ducks have had. And Oh, by the way, no fans allowed at Pac-12 yeah. home venues for the fall season. And that appears that it's going to be in place uh, for the entirety of the season. Look, you know, Odson Stadium's off the hook on game day. Yeah. Maybe not so much this fall. So no home field advantage from that yeah. standpoint. But still, are the Ducks still potentially the team to beat in the Pac-12 North? Yeah, and it's good, too, because the other name I forgot was Thomas Graham, another guy on that team that's that's not going to be wearing that uniform because of an opt-out. You mentioned, and it's a really interesting topic here uh, when it comes to the no fans in the stadiums. I was talking to Pat Chun, the athletic director at Washington State the other day, and I think what people don't realize is you go to Martin Stadium, man, like that place is rocking. It is. It's no joke. Pullman's got like a you know, population of about 35,000, give or take here, here, you know, a couple thousand here or there, 28,000 are the students. I mean, when you talk about a town that lives and breathes and eats Washington state athletics, that it's Pullman, right? Now there's not going to be fans there. Like how much of a disadvantage is that going to be? And it's going to be incumbent on a lot of these programs to try to get creative and, and figure out ways to keep not only their fan base engaged, but try to find some sort of semblance of a, of a home field advantage. Now we're seeing it in the NFL. We're seeing it in, in college, or excuse me, in uh, uh, major league baseball, the NBA bubble, we're seeing, you know, the virtual fans and the whole thing, but you're right. Like there is, there's a competitiveness uh, that is going to be missing a competitive advantage. That's going to be missing due to the fact that you're not going to see some fans, but Oregon, in my mind, you know, I, I, I feel like I'm talking myself into, uh, into USC as the days go by and I'm surprised by it, but I was talking to Evan Moore. I was working with him the other day, uh, speaking of the tree cast and Stanford faithful who obviously know about Evan, but we were working together at Sirius XM. We were going back and forth on Oregon and USC. And I think because of the opt-outs, I'd still pick Oregon despite some of those defections and, and guys preparing for the NFL, but man, that gap is closed from a USC perspective. You know, who are those dominant teams? And Oregon, I felt like, was a dominant defense coming into the season. USC was a dominant offense. Juggernauts, and I think the best in those respect, respective categories in the conference. And because of that, they had an inherent advantage uh, against the rest of the competition. Now, you know, if SC's defense can figure, you know, they got Ty Orlando now in New D.C., like if, they, if they're able to work in um, and try to – if they get better on that side of the football and Oregon's able to figure things out – on the offensive side. And I think they will. And I think they're a really good team. And Joe Moorhead, uh, their new OC, I think he's got some, some tools in the tool shed. There's no doubt. They're the most, com- those are the two most complete teams. And I think there's some other teams that are certainly going to be in that mix, but right now, Oregon is one. And I think a really close two is, is USC. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty much right there with you. Of course, that being said, this year has kind of knocked me out of the prediction business for the foreseeable future. Maybe <laughs> I'll start making you, picks again in 2021. 
what's your read on the Stanford Cardinal as, as it tries to get back off the mat from its four and eight season yeah. last year? Yeah. Look, I, I think injuries, right? Like how do you stay healthy? And, and Troy, you following this team as close as anyone, you know, like that has been an Achilles heel these last two seasons for this football team. And so like, that would be the overarching theme around this team. How does David Shaw maintain, you know, how does he get in some ways lucky, right? Like how do you keep your offensive line from not having the issues that they had a season ago in the last couple of seasons? So that's one for me too, is Davis Mills. Oh, we saw KJ Costell ball out, right? This past weekend, over 600 yards, uh, Tiger Stadium, LSU. I think Stanford fans got to be thrilled for him. I'm sure David Shaw is really excited for the success that KJ is having. You know, they gave the keys to Davis though. And this is a guy that can play. I've talked to some people, um, talent evaluators that, that are pretty dialed in. Uh, with NFL teams and they'll tell you like Davis is highly thought of very highly thought of this guy who's also thrown for 500 yards in the game. We've seen that like he's got this great natural gift and ability, but he's also had to fight the injury bug. How does he stay healthy? And then the other thing for me, Troy is like those vertical threats down the field. Like who are those dudes that really can be difference makers in this team's offense? And, you know, you've seen this, with KJ a couple of years ago, and I think even a little bit last year with Davis, where you know what we've grown accustomed to seeing a Stanford offense look like has now looked more like other teams' offense with this willingness to go down the football field and more of an air attack. Now, I think that has more to do with offensive line and maybe not having Christian McCaffrey, Bryce Love, Toby Gerhardt, and those types of guys coming out of the backfield, but overarching themes. Those are three of the major topics for me that I think need to be examined as you're looking towards Stanford in their upcoming season. I'm glad you brought up KJ Costello uh, and obviously what happened with Mississippi state uh, beating Louisiana state uh, in death Valley uh, last weekend. Uh, you may have hinted at this a little bit. I, I didn't make much more of it beyond what it was a young man playing uh, a transcendental game, maybe not hundred percent clean game, but a transcendental game uh, on the national, on the biggest uh, national stage yeah. that he's played at um, to this point. But I know the Stanford fans kind of feeling depressed about the whole thing and trying to draw a straight line between KJ's success. Well, he's, he's succeeding there. You know, this, this must reflect poorly on, on Stanford somehow. And I'm, I'm trying to figure that out. Uh, what, if anything, did you think that result at LSU, and don't forget Mike Leach is involved here too. Yeah. What do you think that result said about Stanford, if anything? And what do you think it might've said about the Pac-12, if anything? Yeah, I, look, I think it's, it speaks volumes of the Pac-12 uh, overall because – People have pointed to Mike Leach as sort of this gimmicky coach, right? If this air raid offense is going to be able to get it done. I think it's an embarrassment from an LSU perspective, and it's an embarrassment from an SEC team um, who allows a Mike Leach offense to do what they just did. How do you not pick up the phone and call Jimmy Lake? Sorry. Like, I mean, Jimmy has had so much success against that football team, uh, you know, and, and, and to me, to think that you are because you have dudes and because you've won a national championship, you're, you're so fixated on, Hey, we're going to play man to man defense. Uh, that's not going to work against these dudes. It's as simple as that. And they got torched and they deserve to get torched because of it. But I think it also says, Hey, maybe the PAC 12 was onto something here. Maybe it's not that pushover team. If a PAC 12, a former PAC 12 coach and a former PAC 12 quarterback could go to death Valley and get a win. I, I think it's a good thing for, uh, for the league as a whole. I think your, your point on KJ and Stanford fans is a reasonable one. It's a fair question to ask. Certainly one of the things that I thought of as well, 
Troy, you got to know KJ. I mean, he is KJ's is one one of the best leaders that we've seen in this conference the last you know almost ten years that I've been uh, doing this and covering this conference. And he's a great kid. He's a nice kid. He's an athletic kid, uh, and and certainly has an ability to potentially play on Sundays. In fact, a year ago at Media Day, I, I felt like KJ was just behind and I thought it was a razor thin margin between him and Justin Herbert. That's how highly I thought of KJ Costello. And I can't help but think that maybe last year would have been vastly different as it wasn't for some of the injuries that, that KJ suffered. And I'm, I'm thrilled for him. But at the same time, I, I think to myself, I remember being around Davis Mills at the elite 11 uh, years ago before he decided to go to Stanford. And my God, man, there's a certain level of maturity, the way that he carried himself. And then seeing him on the football field, you saw these natural gifts that he has and the excitement level at that point, before you even got to the campus, I'm thinking, man, like this dude's going to be a stud. He's going to be a baller. And we've seen those flashes. And I think if you talk to people around that program, they'll tell you they are excited about the things that not only Davis can do because of his physical gifts, but what's happening between the years and how he's going to be able to lead this offense and pick up on some of the schemes. And it's not a KJ thing. Like I'm not saying KJ couldn't do it, but I think that there is a a level of confidence around Davis that is uniquely uh, different and it's associated with him maybe more so uh, than some of the other quarterbacks that we've talked about that have worn that Stanford uniform. So I, I'm excited. And, and Troy, like, I, I'd love to know your take. Cause I, to me, like, you know, KJ, like, I, and you're connected with Stanford fans. Like, are you hearing from people that are like, yo man, like maybe we made a mistake. Maybe it should have been KJ. Yeah, no, I, I, and it's, and I mentioned this earlier in the show, it's my fault for, for, for lurking on the message boards. It's my fault for hanging around social media yeah. in the immediate aftermath of that game uh, on Saturday, because certainly, you know, the folks who, and David Shaw has his critics and look, Shaw is an above reproach 100%. There yeah. are things that he does that, that drives me crazy sometimes. Uh, you know, and it, it just seems like the Shaw critics just kind of seem to, seem to take this as an opportunity for somehow KJ dropping 600 yards on, on an SEC team, uh, somehow reflecting poorly on, on, on Stanford and how you know, KJ never got a chance, which wasn't true. You know, if oh, it wasn't for God. the injuries that KJ had suffered throughout the course of the year, you know, KJ was off to a fantastic start, a fantastic start against Northwestern before, yeah. he get in, before he got knocked out that concussion before halftime. If that had not happened, and if he had not had his finger banged up against Oregon, right off the we would have been yeah. seeing. I mean, we've been throwing 600 yards a game. I mean, that's a that's a that's a once in a lifetime performance, unless you're unless Mike Leach is your head coach. No doubt. But I think you get what I'm saying. You know, he would have been equally as effective, I think, for Stanford last year had he been able to stay healthy throughout the course yeah. of the entire season. That was just – and I, I didn't make anything beyond any, anything beyond what it was last Saturday, but apparently that might make me a bad Stanford fan. Oh, well. No, but here, think about this too. Like, KJ, had he not gotten hurt, We'd be talking to him about about him as an NFL quarterback. Yeah, he yeah. wouldn't be playing for Leach right now. Like that's he had to now come back and and you know chose a different path and and good for him. I mean, yeah. and it makes sense, right? Like you you were able to have success in a Stanford uniform, and I think that speaks volumes about character and the type of person you are to be able to thrive in that setting and, and make no, there's no question about it. Like KJ Costello had success and he, he thrived in what Stanford had asked him to do. And it's not Mike, easy to survive in no, that, in that system as a quarterback. No it's not easy. No doubt. And he now has a home 
And if he's, he's going to put up video game numbers this season under Mike Leach. So now you go to the NFL and, and look, I've been a Stanford quarterback. I've had success. And guess what? I had success understanding this air raid offense. And we're seeing quarterbacks at the NFL level and the NFL embracing more of that air uh, attack approach. So, you know, to me, I, I think it's a great decision for, for KJ and I wish him nothing but success. And he really is one of the good guys. And, um, you know, if people on the message boards are, are critical of him, I'd say, man, I wish he got to know him a little bit as a person, but I, I don't think anyone should be disappointed by how things transpired because at the end of the day, we haven't even seen Davis Mills fully get the keys to the car, understand he is now truly the guy on a team that maybe can do something in that North division in a really unique setting. Like before we start throwing shade on, on the Stanford program, let's not forget Davis threw for 500 in a football game in a Stanford offense, which is not an air raid offense. Like he can play and he can do this. Um, I just, I can't wait for him to get this now opportunity to go and showcase himself. Yep. 100% behind you every step of the way there. A couple last things here uh, for you. Um, Obviously, you know, you were the face of the Pac-12 network since its inception in 2012. What, what are some things that you will take away from that experience with you for the remainder of your career? You know, some of the best times I've ever had in my career, man. I, I think back to 2012 and launch night in particular, and I've, I've told the story about Coach New Heisel and his wife, Sue. Um, you know, we finish up that show, you know, I was working at ESPN and that's actually where, where you and I met. Mm-hmm. And I, I got this opportunity to move out to the West coast and, and, you know, they kind of gave me the keys to the car and it was amazing. And I remember launch night, man, I did sports center on a Saturday. Uh, I remember leaving the campus at ESPN going, did I just make a huge mistake? Sunday, I get onto a plane Monday morning. I'm on an HR meeting, get pulled out of that meeting. And they go, look, you need to get down to the set because we need to start, you know, going through run-throughs and practicing. We're having a lot of technical issues, trying to build this thing out. And we must have rehearsed that opening show, man, like uh, a thousand times it felt like over those two days. And then we launched on that Wednesday and, and Rick and Sue, they had this bottle of Dom Perignon. It was the first time and the only time I've ever had a sip of it. And Rick gave this great speech. And in this room, it's our green room. And there's... Um, you know, Ronnie Lott and Glenn Parker, who played in a bunch of Super Bowls, and Curtis Conway and Summer Sanders, who's got all of her medals. She wasn't really wearing the medals, but, you know, you can kind of envision <laughs> it for the story. And, and Rick tells this great, you know, hey, when I was a coach, wins are hard to come by. And people don't realize how hard wins are in college football. So they need to be celebrated. And tonight was a win. And I want to celebrate with you guys. And what I used to do with my staff is after a win, you know, their families would come over and we take a horn off and everyone takes a sip. And, you know, I'll never forget sort of this, this camaraderie around this group and to be able to work with, I was just talking to Don McLean before I hopped on with you, you know, to be, to develop these friendships, whether it's the Matt Liners or the Earl Watsons, the Richard Jeffersons, Lamar Hurd, uh, you know, the McLeans, the world, Matty Muehlbach, who's one of the, the all-time good guys. And then on the football side, you know, Ronnie, who I just talked to the other day, like you, Curtis, like you develop these friendships and these relationships, Yogi, who I talk to every couple of days. I mean, <laughs> it's that to me, and I know it sounds like the cheesy thing and people will always be able to point it in, in any media uh, job or any job in general, like, Hey, these relationships and how important they are. But to me, that was one of the unique things about Pac-12 network that was awesome to me. And that's like that legacy when I leave where I am gone now, but when, as I'm like thinking about my time there, like I developed these great relationships and friendships with a lot of people and that that'll never be taken away from me. Um, you know, hearing the news about my contract, 
you know, I, I mean, it sucked. There's no other way to describe it. It hurt in a lot of ways, eight years, man. And, you know, I don't look, I've dedicated no matter what the job is, but there was a different level. You know, when I think back to Sirius radio, my first real job out of college and then NBA TV, then ESPN and then PAC 12, you're invested in all those jobs. Like you represent those organizations and the people that you work with, but it is different when it's a startup and you know, those first few years, man, like I'm in meetings that like I'd never be in, in, in any other network because it is a startup and it's all hands on deck. Um, so I learned a ton and it just, you know, it's, it hurts, man. Like, you know, you just, you know, I think about not being on set with those guys anymore and working with that crew. Like that's by far the hardest part of it. But, um, you know, I had a great run and, and Troy, you know this cause you've been in the business for a really long time too, man. You, you tell anyone, Hey, I'm giving you eight years at one place. We'd all sign on the dotted line. Yo, let's go. <laughs> let's roll. Um, I, I thought I'd get 12 cause that's how long the deal, the, the contracts were the, uh, uh, when they launched the network with right. some of those partners, but um, I will be forever uh, grateful for the people who had launched that network that gave me an opportunity and it is not lost on me at all. Um, Troy, and I know, you know, you, you frequently tweet about this and things that are happening in our country from a social justice standpoint, it is not lost on me that a lot of networks don't have people that look like me in the seat that I had when I was there. And uh, when I, thank you is not even nearly an appropriate term to use to the people that, that gave me an opportunity. Sorry. That is like the longest winded answer ever. And I don't even know if I answered the question, but um, I've had a lot of time the last couple of months sort of thinking about the path and everything that's happened. And um, I already miss it, man. I miss the coaches. I miss the players. I miss the people at the schools. I miss the students who've reached out that I've gotten to talk to, to get to know over the years. It's, it was an amazing, amazing, amazing experience. Yeah. And the amazing outpouring from, uh, from viewers uh, expressing, you know, their, their feelings and all those sorts of things. That was, that was, really cool and uh, really neat to watch and see that being said as we wrap this up all sorts of cool things that you're still into right now yeah. where can folks see you where can folks hear you for sure uh well social media at mike underscore yam on instagram and twitter uh and look i'm not i'm not too far away from the conference like, they really have to like kick well i guess technically i got kicked out of the network but <laughs> uh from covering it look serious radio is serious xm radio is giving me a, an awesome platform on pac 12 radio i've gotten to work with uh, coach Newheisel occasionally too on espnu so still doing those shows with those guys and then intel sports working on some cool nfl technology with them and uh the nfl network has actually carved out a small role for me uh with those guys so i'll start that at the end of october and and once again just you know thank you i mean Troy, you know, this, like the, the business is so damn small and you develop these relationships with people. And, and, you know, it's crazy to me. You mentioned that outpouring, I, I not a bill. I, I really mean this. I never thought in a billion years that the reaction would be like that. I, I really thought it'd be like, you know, Yogi would retweet like my goodbye and a couple of, you know, you guys that I've worked with over the years would, you know, like it and give me the double tap. But, um, you know, I went back, I mean, I, it was, there was messages and I responded to everyone cause it was almost like a mini gift, right? Like it's, you know, you took the time to not only watch the last eight years, but to, uh, to send me a note and, you know, with all the unemployment numbers being what they are, man, I've said this to a lot of people. I don't know if there's another person in the entire country who has been supported more than me when it comes to being unemployed and, and uh, people that have been willing to help out. So it's, it's once again, thank you is just not enough to everyone. Well, I, I do know this. The sports media business is much better when there are guys like Mike Yam fully <laughs> in the mix. Mike, 
thanks a bunch. Man. I cannot wait until the next time we get a chance to chat. Hopefully we're talking Pac-12 football uh, for, a, for a long, long time, for years to come. Thank you for all of your help on the network side, and best of luck the rest of the way, man. Hey, hey, football, we, we got a path to the starting line. We, I can't wait. We, let's go, man. We got some football around the corner. I can't thank you enough for having me on the show, man. It's always good to hear your voice. It's good to be, you know, kind of a part of the things that you're working on. And you know, look, just because I don't work at the network, I'm still going to be watching. So I can't wait to see you on my screen as well, calling games at Pac-12 Network. Appreciate it, Mike. Thanks a bunch. Appreciate the time. Yeah, anytime, man. Man, good stuff from a good dude, Mikey M. Uh, he and I go back a ways to our former professional lives in Bristol, Connecticut, and uh, really excited about uh, what he has on his plate uh, coming up. Uh, and you look, I was super bummed uh, to see the news that he was no longer going to be working with the Pac-12 Network. As most of you know, I am a play-by-play announcer uh, for the Pac-12 Network, calling six sports um, for that organization over the past five years. But uh, my relationship with Mike uh, goes well before that. And as, as genuine, look, what, what you see is what you get. That certainly isn't always the case amongst people that you see or hear in the media. But what you see and what you hear from Mike Yam is exactly what you get when the cameras aren't running and when the microphones are turned off. As genuine a guy as, as, as I've uh, had a chance to, uh, uh, to be around in this business, so appreciative that uh, he could spend some time with us and I uh, can't wait to hear and see what he's got going next. NFL Network, get ready Culver City. My man Mike Yam is uh, on his way. But uh, Oregon USC? potentially in the Pac-12 championship game. I could see that. I, I could I could certainly see that. I have more questions about Oregon now than I did a few weeks ago, but, you know, still possible, still possible. And big things for Stanford are still possible too. And I'm sure David Shaw and uh, the coaching staff is going to do everything that it possibly can to make sure that all those big things that are potentially on the table for the Cardinal are realized. Man, this was a fun show. I hope you had as much fun as I did. Of course, as always, I welcome your feedback on Stanford football, on Stanford sports. Hashtag TreeCast is the best way to do that via Twitter. Hashtag TreeCast. You want to give me the follow on Twitter? Sure. Hey, I always welcome them. At Troy Clarity. The last name is spelled C-L-A-R-D-Y. At Troy Clarity. We will see you next time on the TreeCast. Thanks again to our special guest, Mike Yam. And always great to hear from the Stanford head football coach, David Shaw. Don't drink and drive. If you do, you're the dumbest person on the planet. Wear a mask. Be kind and respectful to everyone you see and everyone you deal with. And vote. Vote. Be at your best. Thanks again for joining us here on the TreeCast with Troy Clarity, presented by the Believe Podcast Network. Mm -hmm.